Let's turn in our Bibles now to the last chapter of 1 Timothy as we're wrapping up the book of 1 Timothy this morning. We'll be looking at the last two verses of this um, great book, this book that Paul wrote to his uh, young protege, Timothy. Uh, these last two verses I had originally kind of planned on including with the three verses that we covered last week because I thought that's just five verses. But the more I studied the passage a week ago, the more I realized that, boy, these last two verses are really loaded with something that's really important, critical for us. And so decided to devote a whole message this week to verses 20 and 21. So let's read them. Paul says, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul tells Timothy there's something that's really important for him to protect that he needs to stand guard over this. And it seems that the threat to it that he needed to make notice of had to do with something that was a profession of knowledge that involved profane and empty babbling, a bunch of empty words that aren't really knowledge. The danger was that there are some people who have been caught up in these contradictions and these empty babblings. And, and as a result, as he says, by professing it, some strayed concerning the faith. That's a pretty serious warning. And this is something that Paul was communicating to Timothy, but it's also something that because it's put here in the end of the book, it's something that has something to do with each one of us. And the more time I spent meditating on this passage, the more I realized the depth of the danger and the importance of the message that Paul is sharing with Timothy here. And I hope it's something that God will minister to your heart, that you too have something that you need to guard, that you need to protect. So he said, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. The, the word committed to your trust is, a, is one word in the Greek that was a word that was a banking term that referred to a deposit that was made to you. You were to be the holder of the assets. It, it wasn't yours. It wasn't given to you to spend. It was, it was entrusted to you in order to protect and so if you were that kind of a steward, if you were someone who was to, to maintain accounts that belonged to someone else, you would use this word as being this is deposited to you for your safekeeping. So throughout the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is reminding Timothy of that which had been committed to his trust, that which had been given to him for his trust. And first and foremost, that is the gospel the message of Jesus Christ. It was so important for him to maintain the simplicity of the fact that that word, that Jesus Christ died for your sins and, and he rose again. And because of that pain for your sins, it gives us a fresh start and we can receive his forgiveness and start life fresh. 
and that it's all by his grace, that he does it for us for free. The great news is that you don't have to live by a certain set of rules. You don't have to be good enough in order to earn some sort of standing with God. It's great news indeed, the gospel, this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul often throughout the book reminded Timothy not to add to that, not to let it be watered down, but to keep that message pure and whole. And for us, that has been transmitted to us too. The single most important piece of information that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ is that message of the gospel, is that news of salvation, is the fact that we are free because of what Jesus did on the cross. But he also shares with Timothy that there's more that has been entrusted to him than just that. It relates to that. But he challenged Timothy often concerning his calling and his gifts. And we know that the Bible teaches each one of us who accept Jesus Christ are given certain gifts. We studied through the book of Ephesians and saw how important it is that each of us realizes that we are a part of a greater organism, that we are a part of the body of Christ, and each of us has a place within that body. Each of us has something to which we are called. And for Timothy, his role was very clear. His role was, hey, Look, you are the guy who's a pastor. You're the guy who's supposed to look out for other people. You're someone who has, has this anointing on you. And, and so a heavy responsibility for a young guy. A lot of reasons to run away from it, but he knew that's who he was. And Paul reminded him of the day when they laid hands on him and said, this is who you are. This is what your calling is. But... Some of you may be called to that. Some of, most of you probably aren't. But each of us are called to something. And that's a part of what God has entrusted to us. It's not something for us to just use for ourselves. It's something that is to work through us so that we can be beneficial to others. And through all of that, we get fulfilled as well. So we have these gifts and we're to use them, and that's a part of our trust. Obviously, there are other things that are definitely given to you. If you're married, if you have committed your life to another to say the two become one, then that spouse is someone who has been entrusted to you. They don't belong to you. They're not yours to spend as you wish or to destroy. God has said, here, bless this person. Take care of this person. Work with them. Enhance them. Be a part of them. And, and that's an incredible gift that God has given us. If, if you're married, that's a part of what you've definitely had committed to your trust. If you have children, or if you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren, those two have been committed to your trust. Now, those are a part of what's yours. Take all of that and anything else that God has given you, roll it all together, and somewhere in there you find the total package of what God has deposited with you and said, here, this is yours. Now, it takes us time to find out and to really define what that package is. And so, for many of us, we dabble in different activities and use different gifts and abilities that we have. And, and certain things that we do, God opens doors for us to do them. And when we do that, we feel it's really clicking, it's really working, and we go, yeah, that is part of it. Now, 
at the same time, there is a, an element within us whereby we like to use our imagination. We like to expand and consider other options outside specifically what God has clearly given us to do. And God has given us the capacity to do that. And it's a good thing. Life would be really boring if, if we didn't think about the horizon and consider, are there new things? Are there other things that God wants to do? But what Paul is emphasizing to Timothy and what I want to encourage you to do today is to really start with what you know has been committed to your trust because that is something that's worth protecting. That is something that you need to guard. You cannot afford to trade away that which God has said, this is yours, so that you could be off trying to do something else. If you, you can't sacrifice your family, for instance, in order to go save the world. Yeah, you've been called to be involved in, in the, the spreading of the gospel, but there are certain aspects of that that are uniquely yours. But there are also certain parts of your life that are given to you as something that God has entrusted to you and said, take care of this. Now, the reason it's so important for you to guard it is as he warns in verse 21, there are some people who miss this and they've strayed concerning the faith. And we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But what I want you to get your head around right now is to consider the package of what God has definitely committed to your trust. What is it that God has said, this is your deal? Because that's what the Lord is exhorting you today to make sure that you not let go of. And so it's important to get a handle on what that is. It's important to even experiment a little bit to see if those horizons are maybe going to broaden. But at the same time, to know who you are, to know, for this I was born and for this came I into the world. This is what I'm here for. That's so critically important for us, and it certainly was for Timothy. But let's see what happened. What is it that, that is the danger to someone? Really, the, the metaphor that I want to use, and I'll, give you, I'll explain to you later why, is the metaphor of focus, of narrowing down and understanding what it is that your calling really is. Here's the danger to it, and you can see it here. He says, avoiding the Greek word there means to turn away from. It's not just, oh, try to stay out of the way of it. It's a deliberate decision to say, I am not going there. I am not going to do that. I'm changing course in order to, to avoid that. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions. The word profane, they use, it's a word literally that means outside the threshold, but it's the idea of something common, something to be stepped on, something that's not all that valuable, not necessarily evil, just kind of cheap and out there. And idle babblings are just empty talk, words that don't mean much, that don't have much value. And contradictions... The, the Greek word for contradictions, and of course, if you know English, you know a lot more Greek than you realize, but the Greek word for contradiction here is antithesis, and you might know what an antithesis is. We usually use it as being opposite, but a little more specifically, anti in Greek means, means the opposite of. 
and in its most literal definition. The word thesis in the Greek, we use thesis for the term paper, the ultimate term paper that you turn in for a degree. It's the word tithemi, which is, it comes from tithemi, which means to place or to put. It's the image is, here's my product, I place it on the counter, I turn it in, that's my thesis. The antithesis is the opposite of that. It would be challenging that thesis. And for something to be antithetical, the idea of it is, you know, you say something and then you go, on the other hand, here's another way of looking at it. Okay, here's one position. Now let me balance that out by saying, here's the devil's advocate position. Here's the argumentative position. What he's talking about is the mentality that says whenever there is something, you want to spend plenty of time looking at the critical thinking version of that. You want to contradict it. You want to get caught up in saying, well, you know, that's one way to look at it, but this is another way of looking at it. And there are some people who spend their whole lives thinking antithetically, thinking contradictorily. Well, he lumps all of that stuff up together, and they're all related to each other. And he says it's all falsely called knowledge. It's pseudo-knowledge. Actually, the Greek word here is pseudonymous, which is like we use the word pseudonym. It's pseudo, which is false, and nomos, which is named. And, he, and the gnosis means knowledge. And he's saying this stuff is pseudo-called knowledge. They call it knowledge, but really it's not knowledge because knowledge is something that has value to you. Something that's falsely called knowledge is information that really has no value. And what he's saying is there's a huge threat to your focus on what God has called you to, and that threat is represented by a bunch of empty so-called knowledge, a bunch of empty talk, a bunch of random information. And boy, today, like no other day, do we know about random information? Do we know about information overload? We know so many things that are unnecessary and unbeneficial. And knowing all those things so often keeps us busy on things that don't matter and don't connect with who we really are. They cause us to lose our focus. Maybe you've seen the commercial, I, I think it's for a search engine, whereby every time someone says something, uh, the other person just starts randomly throwing facts out about what they said, but it doesn't connect at all with it. Well, more and more that describes our heads because we have more information than we've ever had before. I am amazed at what I know that's worthless. Uh, I'm a, and, I, and I don't study it, and I, I have a pretty good memory, and I like to read and everything, but I'm just amazed at the stuff my head is filled with that doesn't add one bit to my quality of life or to my ministry or anything else. We were, the other night we were watching, um, and I was actually studying while we were watching it, I kind of multitask, but the telethon for Haiti was on, and uh, there was a singer that came on, and a young, popular singer now. And Anne was like asking me, well, who is she? And I'm, and I'm going, well, she used to be dating this other young singer, and he beat her up as they were driving to some award show. 
And TMZ released the photos. It was really gross. And she ends up breaking up with him. Now she's dating a Dodger outfielder whose previous girlfriend has filed charges uh, for domestic abuse against him. And so people are concerned. Is she just like... And I'm like, where did this come from? You know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to me, did God? But it's like, I'm not even sure why I know that. I'm quite sure that other than a possible sermon illustration, there's really no reason for it. And, And yet we live our lives just filling our heads with all sorts of useless information. It started when we were young. And, you know, we talk about that the, um, the phenomenon of attention deficit is a growing problem. Well, I wonder why. I mean, what attention deficit is, is that it's not that you can't focus necessarily. It's that you focus too well on everything. And so someone who has difficulty focusing often is someone who, it's because they notice everything that's around them. Well, our whole society and our media and our educational system and everything else is is designed to load us up with a bunch of worthless stuff, and no wonder we can't maintain our focus. No wonder so many of us can't simply do what we're called to do. We can't simply live our lives with any kind of space in it at all. We're just overwhelmed with an overload of stuff. Yesterday, it was such a beautiful day, Ann and I went for a drive, and we were going to go up to the top of, um, you know, over the Ortega Highway, and then we just kept going. It was so beautiful. We went up to Julian, but while we were there, we popped in. Actually, it came up on my iPod, a message from Eugene Peterson um, about Mary and Martha, And it really hit me related to this point because he was talking about, and he was teaching from Luke's account of the whole Mary and Martha thing where Jesus, I mean, you know the story, Martha was just all busy taking care of everybody and Mary was just sitting there being all spiritual, listening to Jesus. And and sometimes we look at that story and we kind of like admire Martha because we're going, somebody has to get the stuff done. And, you know, we need more Marthas. That's what we usually put announcements in the bulletin for Marthas, not for Marys. But, <laughs> but uh, Eugene Peterson was pointing out in Luke's account, it says specifically, Jesus, when he talked to Martha, he said, you're distracted by many things. And Mary has chosen the greater part. And if you go on and read the passage, you see that actually it wasn't just that Jesus was doing some beautiful devotions. He was specifically preparing them for the day when he would be gone. And that was, you know, we tend to think Martha was practical, but in reality, Mary was practical because Mary was the one who was getting ready for what really mattered. And that's not to say that helping people isn't important or isn't desirable, but to allow the focus of your life to be as Martha's was on everyone else's needs, on seeing, okay, this person needs this, and I need to go take care of that, and I have to foresee this. Many things cause you to be distracted from what really matters the most. And boy, I'll I'll confess to you, I have In considering that, well, you know, I try to be a Mary because I spend a lot of time with the Lord, but in reality, 
a lot of times I'm Martha, and not just in how practical I am, but how impractical I allow myself to be by trying to please everyone and do what everyone else says, always wanting to listen to all the reasons why this isn't a good idea, those antithetical things, those contradictions, and all of the empty chatter that comes with it. I'm a guy who actually reads my email, and, it, and it's so full of work, and, and every one of them, the, the message is bold, and it says, you need to read this, you have to see this, you need to know this. No matter what it is that it's pushing, it could be something really important, usually it's not, but everyone knows how to use all caps, bold letters, exclamation point, because this is what matters. And our lives become so full of things that don't matter. And instead of simply hearing from God and doing what he has called us to do and living that simple life of clarity, our lives become totally cluttered by what ultimately becomes just a bunch of empty chatter. And we spend all of our time arguing over various approaches and, well, there are a whole lot of ways of looking at it. And there's a place for just doing something because God has called you to do it. Hearing from him And Paul is aware that Timothy, living in the time that he was, which is, it's magnified today, that there was a real threat to him losing his focus by him being sucked into all sorts of weird doctrinal twists and all sorts of different ways of looking at things and wait, let's hear what everyone has to say and let's be open to some of these other perspectives and let's let's just hear them out and he goes turn away from some of that stuff and decide that what you have to protect is what has been committed to you what you have to worry about what you need is to focus on those important things that matter in your life that you know have come from God. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you would never listen to anyone or that you you don't allow anything else to penetrate your facade other than just what you specifically know connects with what you're called to do. Because as it turns out, there are some important things that you need to hear that come from directions that you wouldn't expect. But the idea is to put a filter on and to always remember who you are and what you are called to do. Simply what has Jesus Christ told you that you are to be? What are the roles in your life, the relationships and responsibilities that you know are yours? And he says, protect that. Don't allow the rush of an information overload to come into your life and cause you to just become overwhelmed. If you, if you lay awake at night and your mind is racing, sorting through different things, if you find yourself having a hard time spending time with the Lord and hearing from Him, if you find yourself, and I, and I do this often, I'll, I'll start to pray, and next thing I know, I'm wrestling with some problem, and I'm trying to solve it, and I... And the other night, a couple nights ago, I couldn't sleep because I was just had so much stress. And so I finally just said, I am going to evaluate everything that, I, that stressed me out this week, and I'm going to give them to the Lord one by one. And so, you know, I, I began to pray, and I was amazed how many stressors had come into my life in the last couple weeks. How many conversations and events and situations and everything. And so I just began to give those to the Lord. I lay there in bed and I, and I prayed my way through my list of stressors. 
And I know you expect the punchline is that then I just fell asleep and it was the most beautiful, peaceful sleep. But the truth is when I finished praying, my alarm clock went off and I got up <laughs> and I went and did what I had to do. But it, let, it, it spoke to me deeply about that I have allowed too much stuff to weigh me down. And, I, and, I've, and, I, and I'm worried about too many people and too many situations. And I'm, and I'm spending too much time in antithetical thinking, just debating over different issues and situations. And, and Paul would say to me, as he said to Timothy, you've got something you need to protect. And that is a higher calling than what everybody else wants from you. And it's a very filtered calling. It's a focus that needs to be brought in to clarity so that you can remind yourself not only of what you're called to do, but of what you're not called to do. And to only allow in those things that enhance who you really are and who God has called you to be. And so he says to Timothy, guard by turning away from all this profane information. But then he says in verse 21 why this is so critical. He says, by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. That word for professing is an interesting word. It's the, the word um, angelos, which we get the word angels. It means messenger. But it has the prefix epi, which means upon, and the idea is some people have just jumped on one of these distracting messages, and as a result, their faith has been affected. They've strayed from the faith. They, started, they lost sight of what their message was. They forgot that their message is the gospel, which the Bible calls, the word for gospel is euangelon, good message. And they lost sight of the good message, and they got this other message that came upon them and affected their very faith. Now, in most cases, that doesn't imply really that they fell away from the faith. They stopped believing that they weren't Christians anymore. Um, the word here is a much more subtle word than that. Although, I have to tell you, there are some people, and I've even known pastors who who at one point, they just have this simple love for God. They just love sharing the gospel and teaching the word. But then they get caught up in so-called pseudo-knowledge. And they begin to question everything. And they start to wonder about everything. And they get consumed with issues like, well, for instance, if you read the four gospel accounts of the resurrection, you can see each witness is a little bit different, presents a little different view, a little different angle, and, and you'd know that they colluded if they were all the same. But there are people who get caught up and write whole books on the fact that, but wait a minute, this gospel says there was one angel there, and this one says there were two angels. Oh, that's really concerning to me. Now, if there were two, there was obviously one, right? So some of these things are made to be greater problems than they are. But it's like, but wait a minute, who got there first? Who got there next? Who said this? Who did that? What did the angel say? Who rolled the stone away? Who? Are you kidding me? Did you notice that when you read all four Gospels, Jesus was really dead and he came alive again? Now, 
Do you miss that because you're trying to untangle all the details of the testimony? There are some people who reject the resurrection because they don't know if there was one angel or two. And they're not sure how to bring the story together. And I, I'm telling you, I, I know some pastors who become so obsessed with defending the faith and apologetics that that's what they become about and they, they forget what it is they're actually called to do. And some of them, sadly, they begin to compromise, they begin to let down, they become jaded, they become discouraged, and they actually lose their message and it can happen. But there are a whole lot of other people who they lose their message just in confusing the message. And now their message is about this, about this issue, about this political view. It's about the environment or it's about the you know, black helicopter invasions. It's about the UN. It's about one world government. It's about, and it's like all of a sudden, what happened? The, the simple truth of Jesus Christ isn't your message anymore. Now you've got this message that if anybody's going to talk to you, you know they're going to hear it about this stuff that you're into. Distraction from that which saves, from that which changes people's lives. But it's interesting, the word here for strayed from the faith is a, is a Greek word. Sorry about all the Greek, but you know, I'm intent to make you guys scholars before you get mad over it and leave the church. Um, <laughs> but it's the word astoikos, and you know the word a means not. And the word stoikos means to aim, like you're pointing a, a weapon at someone. And so a lot of people have translated this word as miss the mark. There are other Greek words that means miss the mark, though. Literally what this means is do not aim or to be aimless. And, and I really think that that's the best way that this could have been translated. Because isn't this what happens ultimately when we become distracted from that which is our central focus from God and we allow all this other stuff to come in and somewhere along the line, I just lose my focus and I lose my aim. I get to the point where I forget what I'm shooting at. I forget what I'm going for. I forget what it's even all about. And Paul is concerned enough to warn Timothy, not necessarily because he thought this would happen to Timothy, but because he wanted him to understand that ultimately that's what can happen. And it's especially important for somebody like Timothy, who's a pastor, to understand this because maybe he wouldn't lose his aim, but if he doesn't encourage people in this, he will see the people who he's supposed to minister to losing their aim, becoming aimless, becoming, I don't know what, I'm, I'm lost in the wilderness, and more obsessed with questions than actually the answers that we already have. One thing Pastor Chuck always used to say is, don't ever let go of what you do know because of what you don't know. Hang on to what you do know when you get into a situation where there's something that you don't understand. Hang on to what you do understand. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Hey, people will lose their focus and lose their aim and lose their direction if they don't guard their focus, if they don't guard what's been entrusted to them by deliberately shutting down the gates that allow the floods to come in to overwhelm us with information, to bombard us with stimuli, to, to overflow us with input to the point where I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I forget why I'm here. 
When I get up in the morning, I don't even know what I was born for and why I came into the world. What's my purpose in life? I don't know. I have so many of them. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by them. Paul's just reminding Timothy, you need to protect yourself against that tendency. And you need to keep your aim true by guarding your calling and the commitment that's been committed to you. And if you don't do that, you'll be aimless. And he closes it off by saying, grace be with you, or literally with you all, plural. Grace. Grace is ultimately that which has been entrusted to us. Grace is how we are to live our lives. It's receiving the grace of God and and transmitting the grace of God that allows us to really represent Jesus Christ well. And so it's a perfect way to remind us, ultimately, it's about grace. If you lose grace, you'll lose your focus. If you lose grace, you'll lose your calling. If you you become overwhelmed with information, grace will not be a part of it. You'll start to snap at people. You'll start to judge people. You'll take an antithetical position with people. When you're losing your grace, you will lose your very identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. For some people, they lose their grace and then they stop being able to accept God's forgiveness. And because they're overwhelmed with guilt for something that they've done in the past or a way in which they've failed, they just quit, they shut down and and bide their time and lose their aim. The great thing about grace is it all starts over right now. Forget what you've done in the past. Forgetting what lies behind, as Paul said in Philippians, reach forward to what lies ahead. Get back to the focus of what your life is really about, what God has shown you clearly that your life is about. And and then deliberately choose to protect yourself from the overwhelming amount of input that might cloud that, that might distort that. If you don't do that, you might find yourself actually preaching a message that will cause you to be aimless. You'll be trying to do something that doesn't matter. It's just empty babbling. And so let's all take this exhortation personally. It's critical that pastors understand it like Timothy, but it's critical that every one of us, as his servants, get back to the very basics of our calling before God. And the focus, just tighten it in and deliberately turn away those things that might cloud the issue. And I add to what Paul says, amen to that. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. We are so often just confused, not knowing where we're going, what we're doing. We don't even know how it happened. Well, now we see how it happened. Too much contradiction, too much antithesis, too much empty babbling, too much just commonness, profanity allowed in our lives. Lord, help us to get back to guarding what's been entrusted to us. Help us to learn to keep our focus true. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. You know, if you're